Hello and welcome to the Win Win Effect podcast with your host, Chris Ross. This is the show for anyone that wants to drive productivity and maximize potential in any industry. Let's take a moment. Have you ever wondered about the psychology behind the persuasive marketing driving you to take action, sometimes on products you never thought people would buy? Well, that's just what makes this podcast stand out from the others. On these episodes, Chris will break down proven strategies that his companies use to respectably enroll prospective students into the correct programs to achieve overall business success and fulfillment in life. You will get a rare centralized look into both sides of the buyer-seller relationships that I'm sure anyone tuning in will receive massive value from to implement instantly. There are huge quantities of informational material from companies just trying to sell products, but not many giving you the right information on how to build companies from solid foundations, focusing on customers actually winning as the outcome. The Win-Win Effect podcast is a character-based code for human interaction and collaboration in business. Time is the only non-renewable resource in life. So with this podcast, the outcome is designed to bring you value to make it worth your time. Anchoring and framing are two beautiful skills you have to master to be an effective salesperson. But here's the thing. You've been doing these techniques your whole lives. So why is it in 15 years I've been in sales and I've only heard a handful of salespeople actually do this effectively? One word, focus. Or in this case, lack of focus. In sales, everything closes, whether you're there or not. Focusing on key activities almost directly ensures you are getting sales, and in doing so, in the most efficient amount of time. Key ingredients for focus are three components, clarity, will, and ability. Clarity about goals and key activities to focus on. Enough internal reasons, will, to get out of the comfort zone to get the work done. Ability means skills to do the job and discipline to stay on schedule. Stay with me here. If you want your salespeople, your team, your company to work as one moving body, where each person sets up the next person to operate at their full potential, it all starts with a conscious choice to focus at every touch point. Every encounter, you come in contact with that prospective buyer. You're probably asking yourself right now, how in the hell does this pertain to anchoring and framing? It is your responsibility as a salesperson to be dialed in, to be focused with every prospective buyer you come encounter with to provide clarity, the will to be able to overcome any type of objections they throw at you, and the ability to be able to do it with confidence. Do I have your attention now? For the next few episodes, I decided to bring on West Bays to have a little bit more an in-depth conversation about how to anchor and frame everything as a closer. So why are we breaking this out in a series of episodes? Because framing has three separate parts. First one's pre-framing. It's how's it going to go? There's no surprises. Spark their interest and be clear about what's next. Key to get people to relax. Otherwise, they'll go into the turtle effect and be extremely guarded. Reframing. This is where if you did your job as a salesperson and didn't fail the buyer, they should see the value of your product or service is worthy the money they're trying to spend. And my all-time favorite. 
Future framing or future pacing? I know this is hard right now, Mr. Prospect, but I will tell you, if you stay with it and work hard on yourself and be dedicated with the next program, it will become much easier for you. Do you see what I did there? I truly hope everyone was paying attention because we're about to have some fun. Let's dive right in. Wes, welcome back. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me back. And I appreciate you framing this call. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you pretty much identified that. I mean, you've been with me for long enough and it's important that everyone needs to understand how easy it can be done. Obviously, what you're doing is you're painting a picture, correct? Exactly. So you're setting the stage. It could be anything that you're trying to do. This happens in every walk of life. You've been doing it since you were a young kid, Wes, a young kid. When did you identify that you've been anchoring and framing your whole life? It's when I started to consciously develop my skill set within sales is when I started to, to realize that it wasn't about the technique I was using in sales. It was about the human interaction. Mm. I, so then I started thinking back at all the different interactions I've had and how I framed them in such a way, you know, so that it led to my favor. Right. right. That's really what it is. You're framing things to lead to the outcome that you're you're searching for because you're trying to control what you're trying to do is you're trying to control the that process, right? You're trying to control that interaction as much as possible and the emotions, you know, and the thought process within it. So that's why you're framing. I brought up in a training, I can't remember if it was in an episode for a podcast or it was a maybe a training when I do was doing with a company. I talked a lot about power selling and force selling. A lot of inexperienced salespeople like to force themselves into presenting something they're trying to sell. So when they do that, that causes a lot of stress and, and fear for a buyer. But power selling is like using your influence to set the stage for them to gain clarity and you're going to end up selling indirectly for them and they'll make it their own idea. So say for instance, you know, everyone's looking to gain clarity. But how you do that is you need to communicate it by setting frames. What you think about the human mind for a second, right? And what I tell you to focus on is what you're going to focus on, right? Because you can't, you don't want to leave the person's mind to try to wander and figure out too much, right? You want them to figure out enough to make it into their own idea through your guidance. So think of it this way. If I get on the call with somebody and I tell them, and this is how I'm going to frame it, and I tell them, John, today, the purpose of today's call is for you to gain a lot more clarity on what you're trying to do, right? That's the goal of today's call, right? So what I just framed there was that John's focus point is to gain clarity. So now everything he focuses on with what I say is to gain clarity. So even if I don't say that much, or even if we don't, we don't, you know, conquer the world on that call, by the end of it, as long as I've had a quality interaction, he's going to feel like he's gained some clarity. Right. right. But that's because I framed it that way. That's beautiful. Beautiful. And I'm pausing for effect here is that if you're getting on the phone and we, we do this, you know, not even thinking about it when we get on a call because I want to make sure that I'm going to put them at ease. I need to get them to relax. That's everything that I do and everything I'm about. When people are relaxed or neutral, they make an educated decision. And they are not going to get caught up into emotions. Emotions are very effective, but using them in a positive light. Can you explain that a little bit better for 
someone brand new, like how to, how you approach that first call. I know that we talked about this before and go into rapport and master, you know, mirroring and matching and whatnot, mm -hmm. but it sounds a lot to me that you're doing a lot of positioning. How can you train that better with them? Yeah. So the positioning obviously is very important. Framing positioning is so that the person can view you as a credible source, right? And it puts you in a situation where you're someone of authority, right? That's what a lot of positioning is. Framing now is more on the buyer's side, All right? So what framing is doing is you are, you know, you're creating the scenario or you're creating the environment, I should say, that allows the person to feel or think a certain way, right? So to give you a, more, a better example, so it's not so vague, you know, if when I'm getting on a call with that client, I want to frame everything that I'm going to say that may spike fear into that client or may lead to an objection, right? Especially those areas, right? So with, with the John example, I framed the part where he's going to gain a lot more clarity because he, that's, that's an area that I know is probably an area of frustration for him or something that he really needs to be able to make an educated decision, right? But now, now say I'm moving forward. Now it's, I'm going, going to the topic of money. Right. So money instantly spikes fear in people if I'm going to start talking about their finances, for example. Now, what I want to do there is I want to frame that. I want to frame it in such a way that allows them to be able to uh, have that conversation with me without feeling pressured or without spiking their fear, still keeping them in neutral. Right. And so the way I do that, for example, is going to be, uh, and you can come right out and say it, say, John, this next piece of it that I want to talk to you about is going to be about finances and how we structure finances in such a way that makes the most sense for starting your business. I'm just giving an example. And so while we go through this, what I'm looking for, I'm not looking, you know, for, I'm not looking to judge you. I'm not looking for anything along those lines. All I'm looking for in this interaction is the numbers so that we can together, we can work on being able to get you to that next step or be able to give you a lot more clarity around how, what you're going to do moving forward. Right. Mm. I'm setting the stage because what I'm, I'm telling them what the outcome is and that the fact that you don't have to worry about this piece. Right. That's all I'm trying to convey is that you don't have to worry about this piece. And this is only purely for the outcome that you're seeking, which is clarity. Right. It's not for anything else. Yeah, and then I'm going to move forward. So I hope that part makes sense the way I, I position that or, or the way I frame that, I should say. No, it was, it was beautiful. But most people, if you still haven't convinced them in looking at things in your perspective, so say for instance, John, as you're an example, John is still doubting, maybe getting comfortable being uncomfortable viewing money as a tool. Right. Because when people are looking to expand their knowledge or scale their business and they're in need of desperate help, that they're scared anyway. So they're coming to you scared. So right. you need to get them to relax and calm down and not have that turtle, you know, being in that turtle shell, right. <laughs> that turtle effect. It's you got to have them, you got to make sure that, you know, create an environment for them to feel safe right. and unjudged. And in order for you to do your job effectively, you need to have communication or ask, you know, diagnostic questions or open-ended questions to get them to tell you the problem. Salespeople sometimes when they have a little bit of skin in the game, they like to assume things too much and they've heard it all. Right. Well, even the year, all the years that I've done this, Wes, I still am humble enough to shut the fuck up on a call. <laughs> you know what I mean? I want them to tell me again, why are you feeling this way? Right. Once they're able to communicate that to me, sometimes they have no idea why they feel a certain way. I'm right. looking for a limiting belief there. 
that's what I'm trying to identify with them. How, how important is that? That's, that's extremely important. So being able to frame effectively means that you're constantly, you know, you're constantly positioning yourself in such a way or making the customer feel a certain way about their fears, right? Or keeping them down to neutral, right? That's, that's very important. So of course there's certain steps you have to take before you, you do that, but it's very important. That's where the positioning and building yourself as an authority is important because mm-hmm. now you can actually start to combat that. Right. And that's why, I mean, we said it in the last few episodes, we always start with why, right? So mm-hmm. why are you, why are you looking to do this? What, what are your fears? Why are you fearful of that? What's been stopping you, right? You're asking all of these questions and getting it because you want to use that, right? And especially so in this example, we talked about John getting a lot of clarity, right? So now I'm going to start associating, and this is also where anchoring comes in, that I'm going to start associating some of those fears or some of those things that have been holding them back with also a lack of clarity, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to start making associations, Right. So the more associations I make, the more clarity that they're going to have. Right. And as I'm doing that, what I'm doing is I'm positioning myself at the same time as the expert. And now I can go through and I can frame every question that I'm going to ask that they may have a rebuttal on. And so once I've gained that, that piece of it, now I can say, John, most people, you can even say that, John, most people feel this way. Right. And feel this way about money. And I want you to know that's okay. Right. That's the first step. I understand that piece. So just know that on this call today, the purpose of me asking you these next few questions is specifically to give you some of that clarity that you've been longing for that you haven't had because you probably didn't have a conversation like this before, right? right. And so now I have permission, right? And they can even, you can even ask for permission, but honestly, I look to build so much authority that I feel like I don't need to, right? right? But in some instances, I, I may, but you, I already did that in the past, right? So in, in, in Right, you've already established that. I've already Right, because in the beginning, and that's this is where the tie down comes in. I already asked, do you, you know, do I have permission? I'm going to ask, do I have permission to ask you very straightforward questions, right? And do you promise you're going to give me the most honest and detailed answers, right? I mean, however, I, I tied it down in the beginning, and I'm going to hold them to that, right? So I know we're just talking about one piece of the puzzle. So when it comes to framing, ultimately, what you're doing is you are trying to remove the barriers that are going to stop you from being able to get the information that you need and get the realization from the client that they need to be able to then move the conversation along based off of the answers that you got. I think that, you know, I hope that makes sense. I know it was a lot and maybe it sounds a little bit complex, but it's really not when you start breaking it down. And that's what we're going to do here today. It's like really exciting to have this conversation with you, especially you, but framing is building a perspective. It's how you package or back up your request. And Wes just mentioned a lot of rebuttals. I have, it's called reframing. When I'm not going to get to the outcome that I'm searching for, I'm going to loop back, bring up something that I'm going to hit a trigger. So I'm going to bring up something that we already had an agreement for with. And I'll usually start it off like this. John, remember maybe two or three weeks ago when we had a similar conversation and I asked for your permission to be open and honest with me and I got an agreement for with you? Do you remember that? I'm forcing them to talk to me. You see what I'm saying? So he's going to be like, he's going to have, he's going to have to remember it. And then I'll, I will make sure that he remembers that piece and he'll go, yeah, I do. What's changed during this process that you think that, you know, that's, you know, preventing me from doing my job. Would you agree? So I'm going to tie down all these pieces and reestablish that agreement. Then I'll come back in. You might say it like this. 
Now that I've been given the responsibility to discover the opportunities using what I call the budget evaluation, and now that you see things that way that we're trying to do it moving forward, I'm still really concerned that you may not have made that shift over and start viewing money as a tool. Here's what I'd like to propose for you, John. What I'd like to propose is for us to take the time to discuss the importance of getting a closer look on how I can help you succeed. How can you help me work that out? And you wait. When you come in with that amount of confidence and you're using your tonality, how can you help me work that out? Wes, in your opinion, if you heard that and you were the buyer and I was the seller, would that provoke you to have an open conversation with me? Yeah, I would need to because now I, I have to start coming up with answers. Right? So I, and it's not answers that I may have right away. So now you've triggered me to have to start really thinking about what's going on in this conversation. That's a tricky little question. How can you help me work that out? I'm looking for help. A lot of salespeople, they get so caught up into who knows? I mean, these motherfuckers drive me nuts, right? They get so caught up into things that are irrelevant to the buyer's needs. What inexperienced salespeople do in this case is they try to rush the sale or rush the process. You have to, sometimes it depends on every client, you know, when the sale takes place. I know that the buying time frame for myself is one of the most important things to pay attention to. But also I need to look at is how can I equip my sales team and train them properly to speed up the sales cycle? So this, you know, what really good CEOs or really good business owners or people that run a sales team understand the importance of a sales cycle when they're looking at budgeting and marketing. And not to get so off topic here, but the framing is important. When people present way too early, that's going to spark fear of what Wes is talking about. Fear causes stress. Fear causes anxiety. Fear leads the buyer being uncomfortable. Their brain is in danger mode. It's like, eh, eh, eh. it's fight or flight. It's the oldest part of your brain. And I'm getting a little bit more science about behind it. And once you understand how science influences sales tremendously, it's the reptilian area of your brain where it controls your decision making. It's responsible for instinct and survival. It's the main focus to avoid pain. This is the area will help you make rational decisions, but you can make irrational decisions based off of what you're getting from the world, in your environment, your universe, the person you're talking to. Listen up, everyone. I'm going to loop back and explaining further on how science influence sales, but everyone needs to understand this is bigger than your tone. This is bigger than mirroring, matching. It's, it's bigger than this. You need to have them drop their guns first and drop their guard. And the only way to do that, you're going to have to establish rapport, gain credibility, maybe by matching and mirroring. We'll touch on this later. But anchoring and framing is the two beautiful skills that you're going to need to establish and develop to be successful. I've never met a salesperson that was successful, didn't have these two things down. I mean, how many people have you come in contact with, Wes, that know how to do this beautifully? You know, it's not that many. You know, it's not because... It's always the top guys, right? It's always or gals. It's always the top people, right? That do this very well because it's a must. Right? And and going to your point about you know rationalizing, right? so people are are rationalizing. And mm -hmm. when you're doing what what you're doing with your framing, is you're taking something. So think about your product for a second. Think about your product or whatever it is that you're selling, 
as something irrational in the buyer's mind, right? Right off the gate. Why? Because there's a lot of emotions involved because there's a lot of, um, you know, borders, there's a lot of walls, there's a lot of, you know, experiences they've had in the past that are coming back that make them feel a certain way, right? And maybe it has to do with your product or maybe it has to do with something else. But the point is, think about your product as something that's irrational in the buyer's mind. And what you have to do is you have to tap into that psyche mm-hmm. to, to turn what you have from irrational into rational. Right? And you never do that by spiking fear because the more fear you spike or the more uncomfortable you make them, the, the lower their buying confidence gets. And the lower their buying confidence gets, the more irrational doing business with you is to them. So when you're building that frame, you're doing it in such a way to keep them in neutral and grow their buying confidence, right? So it's extremely, extremely important that an, a salesperson knows how to do this well because you, and that goes back to the buying cycle as well, because you have to always constantly be framing. And people, the, the amateur salespeople who maybe start getting a little bit good at this, right? Or maybe they end up getting a big head is they think that they just have to do this on the first call, right? Or my first interaction with them. And now I build that, built that trust. I built that credibility. I framed, I've anchored, I've done all these things. I you know, did all my tie downs and everything else. I'm set to go. Right from now on, that customer is going to do whatever I tell them to do. Right, and it doesn't work that way. I can have doesn't matter what client they are, doesn't matter how much money they're going to spend. It doesn't, you know, or does, none of that matters. On every call or every interaction, I'm going to ensure that I am going back and doing this again. Right, of every step of the process, especially anchoring and framing, because from the time you talk to them first to the time you talk to them second, that could be even be 24 hours. A lot of things happened. In, in that person's day and, and interactions that they've had that now have gotten them maybe to a point where they're going back to the way, their old way of thinking, right? Or they kind of put what you said to them on the, on the back burner because now they're back in their own reality, right? Their reality is what made them, you know, where they are right now, right? So you, gotta, you have to remember that as a salesperson with every interaction, even if that person, you don't feel like really needs it, go back and do this again, right? Constantly go back and put them back at ease to ensure that when you get to the point where you're going to, to ask for that investment or whatever you're doing, that now you, you have a 100% chance of closing that deal because that person is where they need to be you know, within their mindset. One of the accomplishments that I've had over the past year, Wes, and opportunities that I've had is me having a chance to train companies now in a different capacity, rather when I was training just teams, but I'm training companies and divisions and, you know, regional directors and everyone that's involved with decision-making when it comes to even how marketing is done for these companies. It's given me a great opportunity, but it's also given me a vehicle to be able to, you know, take off and provide financially for my family. And I never thought I would ever to, you know, ever have a chance to on that type of level. But the thing that I'm most proud of about it is that me having such an influence with how people approach the script. They were handing me a script on the very first part of this is they hand me a bunch of different ones. A script is just an outline. We both agree to this. But that script is important because I wrote certain things where rebuttals are there. So I don't give them a script. I give them situations. Every, they probably have, they're going to have around like seven or eight different situations and how to be able to overcome. And I'm training these guys, I'm training their leaders on being able to not really have an outcome of selling a product. 
to make sure the buyer is taken care of and they're going to win. And you have sometimes have to reiterate that with the client or the buyer. Say, John, based off of what you're what I'm getting from you right now, is you're making it really difficult for me to make the right recommendation based off your goals and what you're setting out to do. Then I'll then I will reframe it and go, based off of what you share with me, are these still your goals? Do you believe, John, that this is going to help me get you to that goal? And I put it right back on them. I keep reframing because that reframing piece is when I don't get the proposal agreed to, you know what I mean? Or my request agreed to by the client. I haven't done my job. What inexperienced people, well, I wouldn't say really just inexperienced, lazy motherfuckers, Wes, to be honest. <laughs> what it's, it's all effort. Yeah. It's I, I care enough about my craft and I and I'm so dedicated that I want to make sure that every person I become in contact with receives every piece of fulfillment that I have in life. And and I want to release them from all the bullshit that's been preventing them from being successful. I see this happens a lot when people are extremely guarded. You know, the uncertainty is a motherfucker for people. People when they don't know what's going to happen. Especially when, say, for instance, you ever went to the dentist? I'll make an example. You ever went to the dentist? Yep. Do you like the dentist? I hate the fucking dentist. I can't stand him. I don't. It's not about the pain. It's about that damn noise. <laughs> you know, it's like the ee, that, that <laughs> drives me nuts. So, say, for instance, if my wife, you know, I'm just moved to the UK, and now that you know I'm going through the visa process and I'm becoming a dual citizen, really excited about that. It's pretty cool. But their systems are different here. It's, like it's called NHS and you go to the dentist and you got to set things up. Well, I had to submit a bunch of paperwork when I did the visa and whatnot. So I'm going to have to go to the dentist soon. So in the States, what would normally happen is that I would call and say, I need to make a dentist appointment. But here's what, just imagine if dentists actually framed what was going to be done during that time. That's the most uncomfortable three to four days or five days, however long it is for me to have that appointment. I'm thinking they're going to like inflict a bunch of pain to me. <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? Right. It's making me, if you imagine if what they would make you feel like, if they are able to say, this is what's going to happen when you come in, nothing's going to be done. We're going to assess what's happening. Yeah. That would, that would get anyone to lower and reduces anxiety, reduces stress. It'll lower the wall that I'm going to put up to, to protect myself. Fight or flight reduces resistance. I do this on every fucking call, Wes, every call. I'm going to get them to relax. You need to relax. Yeah. Because I can't sell. I can't do my job effectively if they're in a high state, in a peak state. It's not going to happen. No, because then it's a battle, right? At that point, it's just a battle between you and the client, right? It's not, there's no, you're not their advocate at that point. You're their opponent, right? So mm -hmm. if you actually, and that's actually a really good uh, analogy there, because imagine every call you have is one of your patients is going into surgery. Right. And you have to give them that assurance and give them that comfort. Right. Right. Before you send them off. Right. Or before you put them to sleep. And so and that's, you know, hanging up the phone. And so the that's that's how you need to go about it. So if you're going into surgery and that surgeon is like, well, you know, what they leave you with is, well, you know, you have the, the fatality rate on these surgeries is about 65 percent. Mm. All right, so hopefully I see you on the other side, right? Yeah, so not it's good. Like, not good. How are you going to feel? Not good. <laughs> right? How are you going to feel? But if the if the surgeon says, yeah, so uh, don't worry about a thing. We're going to put you to sleep. You're going to wake up before you know it. Um, you know, and we'll, at that point, and then they're going to start future pacing. 
because they want they want you to forget about the fact that there's any risks involved. Uh, you know, at that point, after you wake up, we'll go through and we'll talk about every um, everything you need to do moving forward in order to make sure that you're in good health, right? So, and now they're getting you to think about that piece versus thinking about what's happening, what's about to happen right now, right? And that's that's a whole other topic that we can go over as well. But the the point is that yeah, you need to make someone feel comfortable in every step of the way. Never assume that they will. And never prematurely ask a question that could spike fear. If you think at any at all that this question could spike fear, make sure you frame it right hmm. and frame it by giving them assurance, right? That the question you're about to ask is normal and the, and the answers that they give you, they can give you in full confidence, right? And the way you say it is going to be different on every question. The way you frame it is going to be a little different, but that's essentially what you're trying to do. Think about doctors and lawyers and how they communicate with their clients and their patients as a doctor. If you walk into a hospital, the doctor is going to sit you down and assess what's happening. Are they talking to you at a peak state? Are they using emotion? No. Lawyers don't use emotion either. They're just going to give you legal advice. Here's what I believe. So this is what salespeople don't understand. For me to be a salesperson, I got to manipulate your mind and get you to think what I'm thinking and, and buy this shit. Right. That's not the case. What makes me very effective and very, you know, in me making the type of money that I do make, Wes, is that I treat them like I'm like I'm the lawyer or I'm the doctor and they I need to figure out what's going on for me to be successful with them. And for me to serve them better, you gotta always remember the buyer what the buyer is going through. What's in it for them? What's in it for them? Here's the thing. When I when I sell something to somebody, Wes, I'm not selling you to the, just that one time. I'm sell, what I'm who I'm selling to is I'm se- selling to every person you know. I'm selling to every person that you come in contact with later. I'm going to be selling whatever the hell it is on the next step. You know what I mean? Like I've got people that bought from you know two to three times already. They purchased things for me. Why do you think, Wes? Because it's how I made them feel during this process. Referrals. I'm selling to everybody they know or come in contact with. I got somebody who can help you. His name's Chris Ross. Imagine that, Wes. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> right. And you have to frame that, right? And you frame that within your call. I mean, you can you t- once you've you've gone to the point where that person's having a positive experience, or even before, honestly, even on your first call, you can. And if you're obviously confident enough, you can frame that and say, by the end of you know when we get to whatever, right, whatever your agenda is, you can tell them, you know, we're going to get to a point where I'm going to be asking you for some referrals, right? So as we go along, think about maybe a few people, right, that you think that could help you based off of the, or I can help based off of the clarity that you're receiving, Mm. right? We used to, when I was back in financial services, we used to do that a lot. We used to frame that all the time. I mean, we got to the point, I think we got too big headed, but we got to the point where we used to like uh, have our assistants go on LinkedIn and get a bunch of names of people that they already know and just lay it out in front of them. But but that that was after we truly gave them a great experience. But what we would do is we would frame that beforehand. We framing is almost setting an expectation, right? Right. So when I'm framing something, I'm I'm gonna set the expectation of what's gonna happen, how are you going to feel, right? And what's the outcome? That's what I'm looking for in that frame as I'm developing that frame. So the frame is the box in which the ideal scenario of how the interaction can go will go. Let me. Here's an example for you. You've been to a restaurant, a really nice restaurant, Wes. Correct. Fine dining. Yeah, you know, fine dining, whatever the fuck. <laughs> Go to, and they always give you the, the shittiest food. Yeah. Well, not shittiest food, but the smallest the food. Smallest portions, right? Yeah. So, right, smallest portions. Well, you go, say you go to a fine dining restaurant. 
I've seen some of the best sales framing like uh, techniques and tactics and methods from some of the higher end restaurants. What a waiter or hostess, or they started all the way from the front of what you see. You ever seen these the really nice restaurants? They always have the carts of desserts and they roll them around. Why do you think that is? Well, they're they're already framing the fact that that's what that's what you're going to get at the end. Because why? Because most people get excited when they see dessert, right? And now they're it's like their future pacing. It's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. It's like their future pacing, right? They're they're like this is what you're going to get, and you're this and that sweetness, right, of that dessert in your mind is something that's very exciting and positive. Right, so you're already starting to have, stage. A, yeah, you're setting the stage. I mean, you're already going to have, they're telling you you're going to have a positive experience here. Right. And that positive experience comes from emotion, feeling that drives someone to do things they, you know, they, they don't really expect to do. I don't ever go to a restaurant and be like, I'm going to eat a bunch of dessert. I'm going there to eat a steak. I'm going there to eat whatever I was setting out to go eat. Right. Right. But what great businesses or restaurants do is they understand it's all about the, customer's experience. It's not about what they're trying to sell or make. How they're able to get around this and sell more desserts is right from the beginning, you're starting to see a trays and all these things. They can make it in the back, but those that's just a display tray. That's going to get you and sets the stage. Then you're going to have the next person come up and order drinks. They'll say, here's what we'd like to do before we do this. To get you started, I'm going to get some bread or whatever it is, give you something for free. Right. Always give you something for free. I'm going to give you some breadsticks, whatever the fuck it is. You know what I mean? Pretzels, you know, and say, while I do that, I'm going to get some drink, get your drinks. What would you, what would you like to drink this evening? And they'll hold the bottle of wine right in front of your face. Exactly. You got to pay attention when you're, when you're aware of all these things and how people do, they people do it just unconsciously. They don't realize what they're doing, but obviously it's a scientific method because they're using how the human brain works. They're tapping into that. Next thing is, is then they'll come up and say, as you notice, you see that if they're a really good salesperson or a really good waiter, waitress or a waiter, they would say, as you see, there's a nice tray rolling around. Have you seen that tray? Goodness gracious, our desserts are to die for. Make sure you save room. But in order for us to do that, I would like to go ahead and put an order in now. What dessert would you like to have? And then walk <laughs> off. You see what I'm saying? Think about that when I come back from your drinks. Every touch point, is a selling opportunity. Every touch point, every encounter was as a salesperson, email, doesn't matter what you do. Every freaking encounter you have is a touch point. And that touch point is a selling opportunity. That's how much I care about sales. Everything I do is to be able to sell. But I'm not selling to... And some people say, when I say sell, they're like, oh, you do sales. They, they think because they have their experience. What I'm going to do is... I'm, and it's been done because history has proven. I'm changing the game and a lot of people, the way they view salespeople. I'm here to help you. Every single person that I that requests information from one of my businesses, Wes, I view that as a cry for help. And I think to my, about myself and I hate asking for help. <laughs> I'm not the kind of person to ask people for help. I just, that's one of my flaws. I don't ever ask for help. I'm always going to be good. That's even one of my sayings when someone asks me how I'm doing. I'm always good (laughs) because I'm giving off perception like everything's good, but I need to work on that. Perhaps when you're viewing it as as a buyer and you're thinking about my customers coming through the door, or I'm thinking about them requesting information for my businesses, I know they're in a rough time. Sometimes they send messages, request this information in a dark moment in their life, Wes. Yeah. 
But if you're, if you're not aware of that, you're going to miss an opportunity. This is why my sales team does very well. Perhaps some of these buyers are petrified of being judged, criticized. What if I can't do this? I don't know if I'm good enough. How embarrassing, etc. There's so many things that they probably think. That fear of rejection is the number one reason why people procrastinate and never do anything with their freaking life. And then what happens, Wes? They go and sit in a retirement home and they sit there and think about all the things they should have did. Shoulda, coulda, woulda. Right. Exactly. I hear that shit a lot. Exactly. And that and that's why it's so important to frame. Right? That's why it's so important to frame everything. Because if you know, truly, you know, think about that buyer being that way. And you framing is them building the confidence to be able to truly talk to you or actually be completely honest with you. Right. And mm-hmm. you know, if if I came, if I can sense, right, because I have people in my life. Right, that aren't going to come and tell me they have a problem, right? But it just happened to me not too long ago, actually. Yeah, but I can just tell by the way that person sends me a text message, right, or the sound of their voice that there's something wrong. So now I'm going to create the frame that allows them to be able to actually tell me what that is, right? And because maybe they don't feel comfortable, maybe they are embarrassed, right? So that's why it's important with your buyers and with the, with your clients. It's important that you're always setting those frames in order for them to feel comfortable to keep moving forward with you and actually give you the information that you're seeking. Effort. That's the major difference in 99.9% I see in salespeople is it their effort. When I see someone putting a lot of effort into trying to study or trying to master their craft or something, work on something, I always will give them an opportunity. When I see people that I see, you probably see this a lot, Wes, that have so much talent. And then if they just actually gave a shit, it would <laughs> be so successful in life. But it's just a lack of effort. It, it's one of my driving forces, to be honest with you, is that when I see someone that has talent, I must, my duty of the skill set that I actually have to be able to convince them that they can accomplish anything they want in life. It goes back to my competitive advantage. We mentioned this a lot. And I don't want to sound repetitive when I'm saying that because it's it's part of my conviction. It's my belief system. It's what I truly believe is going to help any person I come in contact with is that I'm not going to accept bullshit from you. I'm not going to accept you telling me that you can't do something. Oh, I can't do it because you know it's my environment or it's a house I grew up in. I wasn't raised that way. So you can't pick your parents. Raise yourself. You can't pick where you're born. My parents' viewpoints on money is completely different than mine. It's not their fault. It's not your fault being born into poverty, but it's your fault to die poor. So true. It's your fault. That's your fucking fault. I refuse. I'm not going to. But here's the thing, Wes. I don't work to make money. I don't do what I do to make money. I do what I do because I love what I do. I'll still be doing it. I get always get pulled back to do sales, always, because I love it. Yeah, that's a huge point. That, that's a really huge point because, and it sounds so cheesy, right? Because you, you hear it all the time, right? And you, you know when people say, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. Right? You hear sayings like that, and it's so cheesy. Because, it sounds, it sounds right? cool, but, but it's, I really believe right? it. And, and people yeah. don't understand that piece because you truly have to, in order, especially to master your craft. If you don't love what you do, forget about mastering your craft. Maybe you can get really good at it, but you will never actually master it, right? Mastery is just a whole, whole nother level. 
right? So you as a salesperson, you have to truly start falling in love with every interaction that you have and start thinking about those pieces that we're talking about, anchoring and framing and all of that. You have to really start looking at every interaction and breaking it down in such a way. This is where recording your calls is so important. Because you want to go back. (laughs) Go ahead. Sorry. (laughs) You want to go back. All right. Like how many... Yeah, and you know how many times, like, and we, we've, I know we do this a lot, and we've done this a lot in the past. Is we record our phone calls and we go back and we say, okay, I should have anchored, I should have been anchoring here, I should have framed this, right? I, the person responded this way to me because I forgot to frame it mm. first, right? You know, you go through all that. So why, what, what are you doing there? It's just like anything else, right? So if you, if you're a rifleman, for example, right, you're gonna when when you shot ten shots, right, they were not nearly as good as when you shot ten thousand mm-hmm. shots. Right. And when you listen to each of your interactions, when you've had 10 interactions, they're not going to be as good as your like five, your next 5,000 interactions or your 10,000th interaction, right? With, with clients. And so you, but you only get better and you get to that level by going back and playing out what happened by measuring and reassessing everything, right? Everything. What happened there, right? What happened? What could I have done better? You got to critique, you got to be harder on yourself then anybody in this world can be to you. Right? And if you're not, then you're not going to get to that mastery mastery level. There's just no possible way. And Wes, you know this, and I'm going to share it with the listeners. Now, every Saturday for four hours, I still do this every Saturday. I sit down and dedicate a certain amount of time to not just listen to my calls. It's a little bit more of a critical thinking type of system and Kate going over KPIs and whatnot. But whatever I'm working on at that time, if you're mentioning like listening to calls, if there's not a call that I have ever made in the last probably five years that I haven't listened to the next day. Every call, every sales call. Still to this day, Wes, I will be on a call with someone and I will record, I tell them when it's recorded, sometimes it's automated, but I tell them and say, is it okay that I can record this phone call for um, education purposes? you know, for learning purposes, for training purposes, whatever. And I'm like, yeah, of course. I'm like, are you sure you're going to be okay with that? But you always want to make sure you're going to get the consent. But I'll record the phone call and I'll listen to it the next day. I can't tell you how many times, Wes, this happens a lot, that I will be sitting there listening to that call in my headset or, you know, walking around on the street or whatever it is. It doesn't matter what I do. I'll scream out loud, damn it. <laughs> and what up? people probably think I'm fucking crazy. You know what I mean? Like looking at me, I've actually had people look at me and go, what's wrong with this guy? And I'm like, sorry, I missed an opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> so it's because <laughs> it's, that's how much I care about what I do. And it's not about for my benefit. It's for being, me being able to serve my clients better. So true. Yeah. I mean, how many times have you saved an interaction or a client by being able to just go back even on your next call and say, you know, John, I want to tell you, you know, I apologize because I feel like I actually failed to, and then insert whatever you failed to do. Right. And I want to make sure on this call that we actually get this accomplished, you know, or whatever it is. You can, if, if you, that's tr- a frame right there. That is, it really is. And so that people, people don't understand that piece. But yeah, you can, you have to have that authentic relationship with your client, right? As they're viewing you as an authority. But that's where recording your calls is so important because. There's so many times you can go back. Well, that's how you get better, but then you can go back and save a relationship that maybe wouldn't have panned out otherwise. You can never perfect your approach. It's striving for perfection for myself. Is it, it drives me. Is how can I perfect it in my own mind 
the response that I gave you earlier, I'll say it again, like when we were talking about John and try to reframing his, now that I've been given a responsibility to discover opportunities using what I call the budget evaluation, John, I'm still concerned that you may not have shifted over and start viewing money as a tool. Here's what I'd like to propose. I propose for us to take some time to discuss the importance of getting a closer look on how I can help you succeed. How can you help me work that out? Do you see how I'm angling it and, and saying it different using my tonality, Wes? Right. Th- th- this is my normal statement. That's just one of my frames about budget. That's one of my frames. I have a bunch of them, but they're all in my head, Wes. Yeah. And that comes from repetition. Right. And I've worked it out. Remember I talked about flashcards. I put objection on my desk, write it on a flashcard. On the back, I write my rebuttals out. But if I'm listening to my calls every day, Wes, the calls that I made the day before, and I'm looking for the opportunities to be able to grow as a salesperson to help a server client better. Would you say that me being able to perfect or master that craft will be faster than most people? Of course. Of course. And that's because of your conscious effort, right? That's you're putting in the effort to do that. You're not just, right. and that's the difference too, actually, that we're on this topic. That's the difference between a great salesperson and a great salesperson who can actually teach what they do. Right. right. There's, there's a huge, huge difference there. And, and, but you have to have that level of understanding of what you, what you actually do. And the only way that happens is through repetition and truly assessing and measuring and assessing what you're, what's going on and what you're doing. So important. And, that, and this is so true. So true what you're saying. You can be more profitable that way if you're able to train it. The way that I look at when I'm training people, it's such a huge responsibility to take on for myself as being a sales trainer. If I see a shitty salesperson and they worked with me for a little while or something, it's I feel like it's like a black eye for myself. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I my yeah. I don't even care if it, even back in the day when I was, you know, selling for companies and I had, and I was an employee, every person on my team, I tried to help. Because I was a team player. It's just the kind of person I was. I grew up very competitive. I was in the military for years, so I learned a lot of leadership skills then. Me being able to not leave anyone behind. Me want to make sure that, you know, I can help them if they really want to help. I'm like, I don't even know why you work here. I've actually told people that before. I'm like, I don't even know why you're here. You hate what you do. Like, go fuck, go fuck off somewhere. You know what I mean? Like your, your negative energy is bringing me down. That's how much I care about what I do in my career. That's how much right. I care. You have to, you have to, like when I first started, and I don't know if I've shared this before, but I will. When I first started in financial services, I started out have you ever seen those movies where, um, you know, you have the, the stockbroker guy who comes in and this is their first time and everybody's yelling at him, cussing him out and all of that, right? I'm sure, right. you know, you've seen those. Cut and the tie. So, yeah, right, right. And <laughs> uh, and what I when I first started in financial services, I started in a similar environment, right? It wasn't quite as like, it wasn't quite as aggressive, but like there we had the bullpen, right? We had the bullpen and and that bullpen basically was we had 20 guys so i came in with 20 guys and we worked off a strictly commission and these guys came in and i'm like you know i'm here i went you know i went to school for this stuff you know i I, this is something i was genuinely interested in and i'll come in and i have you know there's math teachers and there's uh you know people that maybe are looking to be engineers and you have you know a waiter and then you have a cashier right like I'm coming with a bunch of random people, which tells me there's no actual, you know, value on the position, right? It's who can make it. That's that type of position. And the reason why I'm telling you all this is because 
by it was seven months. I still remember it was seven months later from that time. It was me and one other guy left. 18 people were gone right? because they came into it for the wrong reason. Right? They didn't come into it because they loved what they do. They didn't come into it because they're passionate about sales or financial services or any of that. They came in because they got, they got you know, hey, you can make a ton of money quick shoved in their face. Right? And that's what they were drawn to. They were in it for the completely the wrong reasons. When my focus was two things. How can I get a lot better at what I do? Because I'm so new to this. And that was one of my biggest frustrations. I was so new to it that I'm, and there's so much to learn. I was like, how can I get better at what I do? And then how can I serve people to the highest capacity, especially now that I don't really know what I'm doing? Right? Raising was, the bar. That's what you're after. Exactly. You were going to end up, when people have that approach, and thank you for sharing that, that helps me be able to try to communicate it better to the listeners is that maybe that's what we should talk about on a, on a next episode or one of the future episodes is the effort. Effort comes from who you are as a person, what's your personal standards. Someone didn't come and teach me my standards, Wes. Do you see what I'm saying? Like no. people, we've had a similar conversation before we come in contact with a guy that did some business for our company and made comments about he was he's very frugal and he doesn't want to spend the extra money for first class. I won't fly anywhere, Wes, unless it's first class because it's about my standard. That's why I work as hard as I do. And it's not about that I'm materialistic or whatever. It's not about that or me flaunting that I do have a little bit of extra financial, you know, earnings and, and, and being in a good situation. It's not about that. It's about my fucking standard. I work hard, Wes. Right. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, it's about customer service. I want someone to bring me my food. It's about the experience. I'm paying for the experience. That's what right. these people are paying you for. Experience. Right. Companies, great companies, understand this. Is they understand that that person is there to spend money. What they're going to do is make them feel good while they're doing it. Walt Disney, goodness gracious, if you ever can study any person, he's. I can't tell you any kind of entrepreneur out there has helped me more than actually observing what Walt Disney did. He set the frame that it's the happiest place on earth. <laughs> right. It's the happiest fucking place on earth. It's the same. Yeah. And it's all about how the person visiting that amusement park feels. Right. That's how they're able to ask for 50 bucks for a cheeseburger. You know what's interesting about that is the most parents, and this has actually been a study that was done, most parents that go to Disney World hate it. Right, they can't wait to leave, but their kids obviously love the experience because of the perception and everything else that they're doing. But when they leave, they actually feel like they had a great time later on. Why? Because that's what was shoved in their face. Mm -hmm. Right? They didn't actually enjoy it because who really who really enjoys walking around Disney World for three hours to get on one ride, right? To sweat, right, and fill your stomach up with a bunch of garbage. Right. I mean, they, you know, they're not they don't feel good by the end of it. But the perception was that they had a great time. This is a place of enjoyment and happiness. So what that tells you is that it's all about the perception. Right. And so and how you frame it. Right. So the way that Disney World framed it is that you are going to enjoy yourself. Right. When they left. Right. They have certain measures to make them feel like they enjoyed themselves. Right. Because the experience is about how did it start and how did it end. Mm -hmm. Right. So when you're framing it, think about that for a second. When you're framing that. That's what you're looking for, right? It's it's 
what is that true perception, right? Because perception beats reality any day of the week, right? So what is that client perceiving? And that's how you're framing. People sometimes think that framing is all about what's been it for the seller. Framing is actually what's been it for the buyer. It's their experience. Exactly. What's in it for them. That's what everyone signs up for. Everyone, you know, what leads to a buying decision is they have to think what's in it for you. People don't do things because they feel like it. <laughs> you know what I mean? People do things because you're tying requests to a business case reason like efficiency. It's going to be productive for them. Productivity. Is it going to be, how is it going to produce better results? Is it money? They're saving money. Are they earning money? Maybe you're going to increase your chances if you focus on how to frame better. Focus on how can you increase the overall experience of your customers and clients. You're going to turn them into a lifelong client. I promise you this. There's people out there, Wes, and you've seen it firsthand. There's people out there that I used to sell for a bunch of different types of companies independently when I was very first starting out in entrepreneurship. Then, of course, gaining capital and then moving on and building my own businesses. People that I've sold years ago are coming back to me now my institution and my business because it's how I made them feel four years ago. That's a lifelong client every single time. And you know what I do for those people, Wes? And you've seen it? Discount. <laughs> every time. Right. Even though you don't need to. How can I help? I don't need to, but why do I do that, do you think, Wes? Because it's all about the perception and the, and the long-term value. Mm -hmm. right? And, so, and it's their experience. right? It was back to everything that we're talking about. It's their experience. And but and with that too, you're completely lowering their resistance. Completely. Especially if they go to invest into something and they invest thinking they can't get the top dollar one or top program. Well, I'm going to do everything in my power to build the program around them to show them I, I appreciate them. And now they're, I'm setting the stage and I'm framing already before they even start the program. I frame everything, Wes. Yeah. I everything. I tie everything down to my request. Right. And it goes to not assuming either. Mm -hmm. And I anchor and frame and I want to finish with a diagnostic open-ended question. My job as a CEO, as a business owner or investor in, in a lot of different types of companies, my job, I know, is I need to put my people, the people that I work with, underneath me and in a position to win. What do you think that did for the advisor that I have working for that client. Oh yeah. I mean, their confidence in that interaction went through the roof. Did the client win? Of course. Did the company win? Absolutely. Did the salesperson win? Definitely. Did the admin team, customer service, fulfillment team, everyone won. Interesting. Step your game up. You know why you don't make any money? And you know why do you keep jumping from business to business to business and selling for them? Because you fucking suck in your lack of effort. It's your lack of effort. Lack of give a shit. That stuff right there drives me insane. And wanting the easy route. Right. I can't stand it, man. I won't. I raise my standards on who I hire. You've seen me do it. I let someone go like it was about six months ago just because I didn't like the way that they freaking talked to me. Right. It wasn't about what they is. It wasn't when it wouldn't hurt their feelings. I just feel it's, it's my duty as a leader to be able to have the right people around my sales team and, and raising morale is in the culture is more important than having someone and creating an opportunity for them. Yeah. If yeah. they don't fit in my what I'm trying to accomplish, then it, it's over. You got to go. I will find you another opportunity. It won't be with me. You got to. You have to raise your standard. I mean, you have to raise your standard. I mean, it, if you have to raise your standard to the point that if something is too easy then you don't appreciate it. 
right? That you don't enjoy it, that you don't like it. Like if I have a sales interaction that goes too easily, I, I don't appreciate it as much, right? It's just kind of like anything else in life, you know, convenience kills. And so if something is not, an, uh, you know, uh, uh, an easy sale is called a bluebird, right? So if I get, if I, you know, so like a sale that you don't have to try for is called a bluebird. And so if you, if you are getting, if I'm getting too many of those, I don't feel challenged enough. I don't feel like I get as much fulfillment, right? Because not because, you know, I, I need, I need more of a challenge, but I feel like, because I feel like I couldn't help that person as much as I wanted to. Right. And I know sometimes that's backwards thinking. Maybe the person's already there, blah, blah, blah. But that's where I get my fulfillment from, right? I get my fulfillment from taking somebody who I feel like is at a high resistance point and then being able to take them through such a journey that they get to a point where they're at a very low, you know, buying point or buying, uh, buying resistance. And, and they have increased, they've knocked down so many of their limiting beliefs and have showed them another way that now has helped them propel themselves to another level and have a better experience with me and have a better experience in life in general. All right. So that's where my thoughts are when, when I'm looking at an interaction. I'm not looking at the sale. I'm not looking at the money. I'm looking at what am I truly doing for that person. And it's having an understanding that you're doing everything for the greater good goes back to my comments of me making a first call and that initial first impression. And I care so much about my approach and what I do for a living. The first thing I'm trying to do is just get them to be open to have a conversation with me. That's framing, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? I have to frame and create that environment and experience for them. So everything a salesperson does or doesn't do affects the result in some way. If you say, for instance, I make a request with a person, what I'm going to pay attention to is what they're saying and what they're not saying and how they're saying it if they do say something. Then I'm going to notice how I can frame or pre-frame it in a different way for them to see my perspective. And this is what I do without thinking about it as I was going through and writing some of these notes and I, I hear you do it as well, Wes, especially like mirror and matching. Like you, I don't know if you know, you do this a lot, but you'll actually, if I said amazing, and then I'll ask you a question, you'll take that word amazing and you'll say it. Yeah. Cause I'm anchoring. Exactly. You're anchoring that, you're anchoring that piece to let me know that I'm listening to you. Right. I'm valuing what you're saying. Right. And and then if I want just and not to get too off topic, but when we're, since we're talking about anchoring, when now if I go to say we're going, you know, we're 30 minutes into our conversation. If I want to make a statement that I want you to feel a certain way about, then I'm going to use the word amazing. Yep. Right? Because you associated it with something really good and a positive feeling. Right. So now I'm going to match that later on because now it's going to come back and subconsciously you're going to feel that same feeling to whatever it is that I'm talking about that I want you to feel good about. Just like using the word, just like using the phrase and using this question at the end of request, how can you help me work that out? It's a crafty little question. And I'm going to tie it back in. So when you say, for instance, and you're using that anchor of amazing, I would love for me to be able to show you a lot with this system. And we can spend a lot of time today talking about these things in order for me to be able to 
you to have an amazing experience, I'll keep dropping them. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Like it's, you pick out a word, but here, and you know who does it really well? Actually, that brings me to the next phase of this conversation that I would like to bring to the listeners. Let's come to a stopping point. I don't want to get so far off target that it doesn't make sense for people to be able to grasp the idea of anchoring and framing. As I mentioned in the beginning of this podcast, when you're trying to decide where I dropped the ball with all this information and Wes and I are sharing with you, you can usually find that what you're not paying attention to something. If you're distracted, you accomplish nothing. So decide what you should all have your focus on at any given time. Apply the same analysis to your team or to your clients. In sales, everything closes, whether you're there or not. Focus on key activities almost directly ensures your team or yourself is getting sales and in doing so in the most efficient amount of time. Time is everything. So how do you keep yourself focused? You might need some energy, passion, or some type of motivation behind it. If you absolutely love what you do and you love serving your clients, then you're going to need to be incentivized and stay focused. It will push you further. Energy is gasoline, and focus is the actual engine, gas pedal, or steering wheel. If you're standing, nothing happens. If you're accelerating, focusing in the right direction, something good will happen. Stay focused, guys, and I'll see you in the next episode. Take this time to make sure you do everything possible to prepare yourself for the next episode. You're not going to want to miss a second of the anchoring and framing episodes from this podcast. So as always, ask yourself, how can you get a little bit better each day? That 1%. So keep moving, keep growing, keep learning, guys. Hope you got tons of value from this. Let's go win our day. Take care. Thank you for taking your time and listening to today's podcast of The Win-Win Effect. As a thank you for listening and tuning in, Chris is rewarding you with a placement course webinar with his team to point you in the right direction to massive success. In success, it's all about living a better quality of life. So at the very least, subscribe to the Win-Win Effect podcast so you don't miss the next episode. Feel free to share on your social media or simply tell a friend about it. Also, please rate and review the podcast. To find the free webinar and more information, please visit tcrconsultingagency.com.